Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, good morning, North Main. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Matt. Oh, yeah, I always forget this. Children, you are uh, dismissed at this time. It's always new. It's like it's been a while since we've made that change, but I think I've only preached like one or two times in that, and every time I forget. So next time time I'll try a little bit harder. Um, But yeah, anyways, uh, good morning. Uh, My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors on staff here. If I've not had the chance to meet you, um, we are glad that you are here with us. We are glad that you're worshiping with us. Um, I'm excited this morning to be bringing to you uh, the word uh, from Ezekiel. We're going to look at the book of Ezekiel. It's a book that we don't tend to uh, get into a whole whole lot, and we've been in it a little while uh, here, and we're going to be looking at kindness in exile. And uh, before we kind of dig into the scripture, we've got a little bit of a long passage we're going to read through today. Uh, It was funny because as we were preparing for this sermon, I was going back and forth on whether or not I wanted to shorten it. And I talked to Pastor Brandon, and I was like, I'm not sure if I want to read the whole thing. And, and, uh, And I said, well, you know what, I just... In, in the early church, it says they devoted themselves to the scripture, right? So we're going to come here, we're going to read through um, this passage of Ezekiel, and we're going to kind of try to break it down. Uh, but to give you a little bit of background information on what is happening before we dive in, uh, as Pastor Brandon shared last week, uh, the, the nation of Israel has been exiled to uh, Babylon. Babylon took over um, the nation, and uh, the way that they worked, it, Babylon was pretty smart in how it created its empire. If you're unfamiliar, it's really actually a fascinating read to dig into some of the history there. Uh, they would much, uh, each empire had a different way of trying to control the, the, uh, the people within their um, empire, and uh, Babylon had an interesting way of uh, taking the smartest and the brightest, uh, the very best of whatever nation that they um, conquered, and then they would take them back to the capitals and to the other cities of their empire, and they would put them in places of power, in places of importance. And so what ended up happening is you're less likely to rebel if you've been pulled out of your country and made like the, the vice president of something, right? You know, like you're, you're going to not want to because it's not that bad, um, and uh, it doesn't seem like it and you've been given power and responsibility. And a lot of times we see in the uh, story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, uh, we see that they were given the finest foods, the, the best drinks, the clothes, you know, whatever they could want, they were able to live and have access to the palace. And so it was this kind of ingenious way of taking your enemy and then incorporating them into uh, yourself and saying, well, now you're one of us. And so you wouldn't want to rebel against yourself, now would you? And so we see this is happening with Israel. They have been taken, they've been taken back into, uh, dispersed into the empire. And uh, slowly but surely they've been, um, they've been trying to indoctrinate them into giving up their religion. That was another one of the things that they tried to do. Uh, Some civilizations tried to allow their people to 
keep practicing their religions. We see that in the Roman um, Empire, where the Romans would allow whoever they conquered to continue with their worship. Uh, They said, hey, if you're happy worshiping, then you're not going to rebel against us. Uh, And so the Babylonians, though, they said, you know what? If you're going to be one of us, then we need to be one of us. And so you start seeing them try to do things where they're like, you know what? We want you to not be praying when you want to pray. We want you to not be eating the foods that you want to be eating. And over time, the Israelites started getting broken down. They were already discouraged because of the situation. I mean, even though it wasn't as bad as it could be, you were still being taken from your home. I know that I personally wouldn't want to be told I had to move someplace else and uproot my life and uproot my family, become uh, as, you know, new in a new place. Uh, and so they were still feeling just completely distraught. They were broken. They were starting to lose their... Um, their identity as a nation. They were starting to break apart, and a lot of it came back to them blaming the older generations. Uh, the younger generations who were in this situation, they, would, they started blaming the older generations. They said, hey, if they had not sinned, if they had not disobeyed God, we wouldn't be in this situation. And inside that hopelessness, inside that kind of thought process, they started saying, so what does it matter what I do? And what does it matter what I believe? I'm already being punished for things that I didn't do. I'm already being punished for things that didn't have anything to do with me and I didn't involve me. And now I'm in exile while my parents and my grandparents got to enjoy the time in the land. And and why am I being so, you know, forget this God who would punish people for their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers' sins. And so this starts dispersing out through the nation in exile, going, and basically they start abandoning the religion. They're like, you know what, we're not going to worship a God who would be this unjust. We're not going to worship a God who's punishing us in this situation. We're just not going to do it. And what does it matter even if we do? Because we're already being punished, so why would I be good in the midst of punishment? As I was reading through this, it made me think of something. Um, I, I coached lacrosse for like seven, eight years um, at the high school level. And uh, one of the things that we would teach, you might not be familiar with the game of lacrosse, but there are defensive players and there are offensive players. This is very basic. Um, and uh, the, uh, the offensive players, some of them are not allowed to cross the 50-yard line of the field. And some of the defensive players are not allowed to cross the 50-yard line. You have to stay on your end. Um, now, sometimes they can switch places if someone from the offensive runs over and the defense can then go over. So there's some gameplay there. But a lot of times um, what would end up happening is someone would try to shoot on our goal and, uh, or they would try to, we would try to shoot on the opponent's goal. They would get the ball back and they'd be running it back towards our goal. And one of our offensive men would be trying to get it back to recover it. And they would be not looking at their line and they would run across the 50 yard line. Now, um, what we would tell them in that case is the minute they crossed that 50 yard line and the ref saw it, he would throw a flag. And that means the penalty's there, but they're not going to end play because the opposing team has it, and that would be unfair for them. They could score, so why would you, you know, end play there? They want to be able to have that opportunity. So what we would always tell our, our kids is, if you cross that 50-yard line, stay over there. Play man up, and then when you get the ball down on the ground or they score, you're going to have to go off the field and take your penalty. But if you go back across the line, we've got a penalty and they're going to score, right? It's like a double negative. 
And I kept thinking about this. So this is almost the mindset the Israelites have. They're like, we've already crossed the 50-yard line. Uh, I might as well just stay here. You know, I, I've already done it. I've already been in this place. And I might as well just keep on in this negative space and keep on sinning in this place because it's already past it. I'm already in this sin. I'm already here. And Ezekiel, in his ministry, it's interesting, his ministry spanned about um, 20-something years, and he kept getting revelations from God, and he kept delivering them to people. So his very first, a lot of people think his very first um, prophecy was around the age of 30, and his last one was when he was about 50. And so we see this kind of near the middle, near the end. And uh, he's come out and he said, God's given me a prophecy about this situation. You're all on the other side of the 50-yard line and you're just going to stay there. You refuse to accept it and you say that it's your parents' and grandparents' fault. And man, I couldn't help but think that as I was prepping for this, how relevant it is for right now. If you think to our culture right now, Every major argument that's happening in politics and things like that can be traced back to generational things. Well, you know, my grandparents had this done to them, or your grandparents did this to my grandparents, or down here, this is what they did in the past, or this is what happened here. And it's interesting because uh, there's different um, ways to kind of look at trauma and things that have happened in our past. Uh, a lot of schools of thought, they want to go into that past and they want to live in the past. Kind of, they want to live on the other side of that 50-yard line, just stay there. Uh, I'm from the school of thought where we acknowledge the things that happened to us in the past and then we look at what we can do now moving forward. Um, we look at what we can go forward because you can only do so much in the past, you can't go back and, and change it. And Ezekiel comes at this time, and he comes with a message from God basically saying a similar thing. He says, listen, we're going to talk about what's going on, and what you're doing right now matters. And so we're going to turn now to, um, we're in Ezekiel 18. Actually, before we jump into that, though, I want to do, uh, why might they be thinking this, right? So I, I was Looking at this and I was thinking, well, why would they be thinking that it's their generational, you know, I mean, not only is that something that we think today, we, we tend to blame um, the people, everybody but ourselves, and we, want, we don't want to take responsibility for the places that we're at, but why might this be happening? And, and it's easy to see how the people might be confused if you look at um, Exodus 25. So all these people in exile would have had uh, access to the um, books of the law that were given to Moses. So they would have known what were the commandments and what weren't the commandments. And one of the things that was said in Exodus 20, Exodus 25, it says, You must not bow down before the idols or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate you, uh, your affection for any other God. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love and obey my commands. So you have this generation that's being punished, this, this younger generation who's in exile. They're experiencing this really traumatic, really terrible thing. They know that it's a punishment from God because they've been told by all these prophets, Ezekiel being one of them, Jeremiah being one of them. They're being told, hey, this is a punishment. This is a punishment. This is a punishment. They have this exodus where it's like, 
God's going to punish us for the sins of our fathers and our grandfathers. And they're like, so, eh, I guess this is it. This is where we're at. And who cares what we do or how we live or where we are. And if we're going to be in this other place, we might as well just take up their customs. Because God's punished us and we're out of this. Uh, and so, like I said, it's, it's easy to see where they fell into this trap, but Ezekiel wants to pull them out. So we're going to turn now to Ezekiel 18. And like I said, it's a little bit of a longer passage, but we'll work through it. Um, 18.1, we'll start here. It says, Then another message came to me from the Lord. Why do you quote this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. Um, as surely as I live, says the Sovereign Lord, you will not quote this proverb anymore in Israel. For all people are mine to judge, both parents and children alike. And this is my rule. The person who sins is the one who will die. Suppose a certain man is righteous and does what is just and right. He does not feast in the mountains before Israel's idols or worship them. He does not commit adultery or have intercourse with a woman during her menstrual period. I want to stop right there because this is often skipped over. A lot of people have confusion as to why that's a commandment, why that's in there. One of the little, it's a little caveat, a little aside. One of the reasons that is mentioned there is because, and I, I wanted to jump into this because a lot of churches use things, passage like this in the wrong context. Um, and a lot of people get wrong ideas. Uh, they get these ideas that things that happen to women naturally and are, are there in their bodies are sinful or bad or, or gross or something like this. What this is talking about is actually an empowerment for women because what was happening in that time is much like what is happening now in places like Africa, India, um, where young women don't have access to um, hygienic projects or products and things like that. And so they are literally just trapped in their homes um, while this happens. Uh, back then, when this was written, uh, women didn't have access to pain, medica pain medication. They didn't have access to any kind of sanitary, um, you know, hygienic products. They didn't have any kind of access to any of those things. So during their, uh, during their period, they would have been very uncomfortable. It would have been very embarrassing. It would have been very uh, debilitating to them. They would have had to spend time. And so what Paul, what, what, not Paul, what their, Ezekiel is saying right here is, um, he says, suppose a certain man is righteous. He's a good person. He does not worship other idols. He doesn't commit adultery, so he doesn't, he's not um, unfaithful in his marriage. And he doesn't have intercourse with a woman on her menstrual period. What he's saying is he doesn't violate her during this time of vulnerability that she's having. See, what, what that situation would have been is that this would have never have been a time when this woman was feeling like she was in the mood to do that, uh, given all the situations. So if that was happening, it was because the man came in and said, hey, I want to do this right now. And so what the scripture is saying is that a man who is just and right is a man who respects his wife, who honors her and her body, who honors her and her, um, her agency, um, and then also is a person who um, is upright within that marriage. And so, again, I just want to do a little caveat because sometimes when people read that, they're like, oh, what is this about? And we don't skip over it. We skip over it a lot of times because it's uncomfortable to talk about. Um, but it's something that not only happened then, happens now 
a lot in other third world countries where women don't have access to these kinds of products. Um, so that is what he's talking about there. He says, he is, this person who is righteous is a merciful creditor, does not, uh, not keeping the items given as security by poor debtors. Uh, he does not rob the poor, but instead gives food to the hungry and provides clothes for the needy. He grants loans without any interest. He stays away from injustice. In his honest and he is honest and fair when judging others and faithfully obeys my decrees and regulations. Anyone who does these things is just and will surely live, says the sovereign Lord. So this person that they're kind of trying to paint a picture of, Ezekiel's trying to paint a picture, is a person who is upright, who is kind in every relationship they have. So he he kind of covers all the bases here. They're kind in their marriage relationship, kind in their family relationship, kind in their relationship when they're dealing with uh, subordinates or in business, um, kind in the people that they're interacting with in their everyday lives. These are the people that God will judge as just. It goes on into 10. It says, but suppose that man has a son who grows up to be a robber or a murderer and refuses to do what is right. And that son does all the evil things his father would never do. He worships the idols in the mountains, commits adultery, oppresses the poor and helpless, steals from the debtors uh, by refusing to let them redeem their security, worships idols, commits detestable sins, lends money in excess. Should such a sinful person live? No. He must die, and he, uh, he must take the full blame. But suppose that sinful son in turn has a son who sees the father's wickedness and decides against that kind of life. This son refuses to worship the idols on the mountains and does not commit adultery. He does not exploit the poor, but instead is fair to his debtors. He does not rob them. He gives food to the hungry and provides clothes for the needy. He helps the poor, uh, does not lend money and interest. He obeys all of my regulations and decrees. Such a person will not die because of his father's sins. He will surely live. But the father will die for his many sins, for being cruel, robbing people, and doing what is clearly wrong among his people. What you ask, does the child pay for the sins of the father? No, for if the child does what is just and in right and keeps my decrees, that child will surely live. The person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior, and wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from all of their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten, and they will live because of the righteous things that they have done. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and to live. However, if righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things and act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. All their righteous acts will be forgotten, and they will die for their sins." This is an interesting passage because it brings us into really stark reality of how God looks at each one of us. And, and it should, in a very real way, um, point to the mercy of Christ. 
Uh, because what this is telling us straight up is that a person will be judged by the actions of their life. And, uh, and he goes into this idea of, um, of it's somewhat confusing because he says, well, the good will wipe out the bad, and the bad will wipe out the good. And, and um, you have to remember that what is happening here is this old system, this old covenant system. And so it was all built on righteous acts, and yet you and I all know that even within a person who is trying to be the most upright and most just, they could never do it. And so there is a little bit of kind of hopelessness in it when you read this because you're like, okay, well, you know, if I try to do well, then, then I'll live this way. And then um, the minute I mess up, well, all my good is gone, right? Is that, is that what it's saying? Um, and why people would get into this kind of trail of thought as well, and they become lost. But the people in the Old Testament that I really understood what God is saying in this moment is they're saying, listen, God is merciful, but God expects us to live within a certain way. Um, God is, loves us, and he wants us to be here, and he will um, look at the way that our lives, and he will judge with mercy. Um, and that includes his son, uh, Jesus Christ, this, this salvation that comes. And so um, there is something to this that is still a little bit scary, um, but I, I find it encouraging, um, especially in this time and period when a lot of stuff is being pushed off to the, to the back end, uh, to the older generations. Hey, well, you know, my grandparents' church, and the amount of times that I've heard things like that even from younger generations, well, you know, I went to my parents or my grandparents' church, and this just was like fluff. There was nothing there, um, you know, or they were just so critical and so, um, you know, overbearing that it was just, you know, I, I didn't like it. It wasn't for me, and so I can't get into that. If that's what it is, I can't be there. Um, and what's interesting is this passage doesn't give us the ability to do that. Uh, to just step away and say, hey, you know what, we're already over the 50, and, you know, that's my parents' fault, and so, you know, I'm just going to stay here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chill. I'm going to live here. Uh, and so our first, our first key point uh, is that, uh, you know, every person is accountable to God. All and, every, and you've heard Pastor Brandon say it. I, I've said it. Someday you will have to stand before God and account for your life. And the cool thing is, is that um, if you believe in Jesus Christ, his covering will be over you during that time. But we still have to do it. We still have to face our creator, our God. And, uh, and that, to me, is a scary thing. Um, it's scary just because I, I, I know that I am saved and I know I'm assured of my salvation. And yet I know of the things that I've done in my past. And so when I go before God, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm scared, but I'm also thankful for his grace and his mercy. But I know that I'm going to be accountable. It's not going to have anything to do with my parents. It's not going to have anything to do with my grandparents. It's not going to have anything to do with my wife or Pastor Brandon or my kids. I'm going to be standing there alone with Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you'll be standing there just alone. So that's even scarier. Um, and, and the Bible tells us that very clearly that we are accountable to God for our actions. But then there's a confusion there because what did that verse in Exodus mean? What was happening there? Uh, what was going on? Why did God talk about these generational um, punishments for sin? 
this leads us into our second point here, and uh, that is that we suffer the effects of other people's sins, but we are not punished for them. And this is really, really um, easy to see, but it's harder to emotionally take on. Um, you think about something like in my family, I have two daughters, I have a wife. If I was to be unfaithful to my wife, which would end, you know, would maybe end up in our relationship ending, um, and all of a sudden that has a broken home, so my, my daughters might feel like they're being punished, right, with this situation happening. Um, they might feel like something bad, or they might feel like they've done something, or why, they, there's a question. I see that a lot um, from people where someone has died, maybe, maybe a parent died, or, or there's a separation, or there's something really traumatic happening in the family, and you talk to the kids, and a lot of times the kids internalize that as, well, I've done something to deserve what is happening. Um, and so this is, this is easy for us to do. It's easy for us to see, well, if my, if my grandfather had just, you know, um, not made this choice, we wouldn't be right here. If he had been more, you know, savvy in business, you know, I, I wouldn't be sitting where I'm sitting. If he had, if my dad hadn't been, you know, addicted to drugs, or if, if, my, if my uncle, you know, wasn't an alcoholic, then our family dynamic would look completely different. We see these things where um, it affects generation after generation, and what, what God was talking about in Exodus is just that. See, these people in, in exile, it was a punishment from God, but it was not a punishment on them. It was a punishment on the nation that had been built over time, over, you know, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. I, I look at Israel, and it's like... Uh, um, if you've ever been to the beach and you try to build like a big wall around your sandcastle and all of a sudden the waves are coming in, that first wave comes in and your wall stops it and it comes out and it sucks some of that sand out. Now your wall's less strong and the next one comes in and it keeps doing that until, boom, it overtakes your wall and then it destroys your castle. That's what has been happening over and over and over again. Their castle's been eroded by sin over generations and generations. And then all of a sudden, the last wave comes in. It's the same as it's always been, but they can't survive it because they have no structure. And so it is a punishment, but it's not a punishment to that specific generation. They're feeling the effects of these waves hitting over years and years and years and years. And then finally, the levee breaks. And they're saying, why is this happening? Well, because we haven't been repairing our walls for generations. And we see that now. We see that in our country, right? It's the same. Why is this happening? Oh, well, if our parents hadn't let this happen, if they hadn't let this bill pass, or if, they hadn't, if the church had been stronger, if it had stood up in this section, if it had done this, then we wouldn't be here. You know, and maybe the church can't. I'm just going to step away. I see that. I see that my generation and the younger generations are stepping away in, in droves. And it's because they're blaming their parents. They're blaming their grandparents. They're blaming past generations. Oh, well, you know, back in, I have seen this so many times. Back in, um, you know, the times of slavery, the church was, was for it. Not true. <laughs> there, was, there was some churches, and we've talked about this in our youth group. Um, some churches were. They were misappropriating uh, scripture and misusing it for their own political, and financial gain. Uh, there were a lot of churches and a lot of Christians who were against it, and it's why we don't, part of the reason why we don't have it now, because those Christians stood up and fought against it. 
Uh, but my point being is that you can look back and see, well, look what happened in the church here, so I don't want to have anything to do with that in organization, with a racist organization or with a bigoted organization, with an organization that hates this type of person. Um, you know, that's all set up by, the, by the, our grandparents, and it's just generational, and it's, you know, it's beyond fixing. And uh, Ezekiel is saying here, no, 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 that's not how this works. You don't get a free pass because of what your ancestors did. You don't get a free pass because of the sin of your father or your mother. You don't get a free pass because you've experienced this. You are called to live a life that is upright and uplifting. You're called to be one of the examples of the righteous people that Ezekiel gives in this passage. A person who in all interactions has, um, shows light and truth. And we see that changing the cultures around them. We see that changing Babylon when the people live into this. We see that changing the Roman Empire when the people lived into this. If you want to um, see how living righteously in the midst of all of this oppression can really affect things, we just got done in the youth group reading the book of uh, Philemon. And it's an interesting book because it is a, it's about... Um, Paul interacting with the institution of slavery in his time period. Uh, and he says, listen, I can't get rid of slavery. It's beyond my power. But I can ask you, a Christian, to do it differently. He's like, I want you to treat your slaves with kindness. I want you to treat them like brothers and sisters. And so you see this different change where, yeah, there, we might not be able to change Everything, you know, we, we might be in this place where we're feeling like our walls have been battered down, we've been broken, and yet he says, listen, this is not you being punished for their sin. You still have agency and free will, and you can still write the ship. You can still write the ship, maybe not culturally, but for your own life, for sure, for the life of your family, for your going generationally forward. Yes, you can fix these things. That leads us right into our second point. It says, we should not use other people's sin as an excuse for our situation or our personal behavior. I see that so often. You know, well, you know, I don't, I'm not real good at this because, you know, my parents weren't real great at doing this with me. And my parents, you know, we see this a lot when it comes from parents to kids. It's like, well, my mom and dad never really showed me much of love and affection, so, you know, I, I don't really know how to show that to, to my kids, so I don't do that well. That's not an excuse, right? That's not an excuse. Like if, if, if you did that in any other place, a lot of times in like in your workforce or anything else where you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, I didn't really know how to do this, so I'm just going to do it lackluster. Your boss is like, okay, well, you're fired then. <laughs> but in life, in, in our own personal connections and stuff, we're so okay doing that. Just being like, well, you know what? Nah, you know, you sh if you look at my family history, you'd understand why I am the way I am, and I'm just not going to change. <laughs> And it's like, no, no, if the way that you are is a horrible, mean, angry person, then you need to change. And that's not an excuse. You can't use this past trauma as an excuse. You have to move forward. You have to move forward, if not even for yourself, but for the future generations. See, what, what the Bible is so good about explaining is that the things that we do in our lives do affect generation after generation after generation. The way that I raise my kids, 
will affect that my grandkids, will affect my great-grandkids. The way that my grandfather raised my dad affects how I raise my kids. The very, the very thing is when the Bible says uh, that there is going to be a blessing upon your house if you raise your kids up in the church. What is that blessing? Them knowing God. Them knowing truth. Them knowing life. Them knowing this that is the blessing. It's not financial. It's not that you're not going to be in Babylon. It's not that you're not going to be oppressed. The blessing is that they've experienced this. Now, the other truth is that they, each person, what our key point is, each person is accountable to God, right? And the Bible says in Ezekiel, right here in this passage we read, that this father won't be held accountable for the sins of the son, right, either. So that blessing is that they have access to this, that doesn't mean they're going to choose it. And I know that that is a frustrating thing for a lot of people. I know a lot of people are struggling, and I've talked with many of you here personally who are struggling with maybe children who have stepped away. And a lot of you have thought, maybe this is God punishing me. Maybe he's punishing me because I am not you know, good enough. Maybe I'm sinful. Maybe the sin in my life is coming into the sins or the life of my children. And again, Ezekiel tells us that's not true. We are accountable for our own lives. And the sins of others we cannot use as an excuse or anything like that. We have to take ownership of where we are as Christians in our own personal. That goes right into our last point, is that God desperately wants to show mercy and grace to his creations. He does not want to punish us. I, I, my relationship with God has changed so much since I've become a parent. And I read these things and I see, oh my gosh, that's what he's talking about. That's what God's talking about. As I look at my, my daughter, we've been, we've been kind of going back and forth with, with a couple of things um, lately where we've been we've been just having some disagreements and uh, and there's been things where I've wanted her to do a certain thing and uh, and she's it's not going the way that I would like it to go and so we're all we're, we're all kind of having to go through um, some conversations and communication there and I think to myself I, I've said this to her face to face I've looked right at her and I said I desperately don't want to punish you. Please do not. Your choice right here, you can choose. When you, when you choose to do A, this is the result. When you choose to do B, this is the result. This is what's going to happen right now. Please, please, please do not choose B because I do not want to do what, what the punishment is. And I don't think she can understand. I think, you know, and, and she, she'll, she'll say, well, why does the punishment have to, why do you have to have a punishment for B? And I say, I have to because B's not a, a behavior we want to have happen. So there has to be some sort of consequences. And I'm trying to be as lenient as I can or else you won't understand it. There has to be something there. But I don't want to do it. Please don't make me do it. And it's interesting because this is what God is saying. He says it right here. He says, do you think I, I like to see wicked people die? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked, wicked waves and live. You know, and he says, you know, should, should a wicked or a, a sinner be allowed to live? No, of course not. Uh, and so he, 
He says, it's within, it's who I am. I'm a just God. I have to uphold this and I have to do this. So if you do A, this will be it. If you do B, this is going to be it. And I don't want you to do B, please. And we just humans, we continually choose B <laughs> over and over. And that can be really frustrating. The cool thing about it, and like I said, is that that is the God that we serve. A God who's sitting us down, who gives us this. He's saying, listen, if you do this, your life is going to be blessed. I do not guarantee you will not be in exile. I do not guarantee that the sins of your parents and grandparents aren't going to affect your everyday life. You might feel the pain and the hurt and the struggle from the things that your family has done for your entire life. But, he says, that is not where you need to live personally. He says, I give you freedom. I give you life. He says, so even in the midst of this exile, even in the midst of Babylon, you can influence the people around you. You can change the trajectory of your children and grandchildren. You can change how you interact with each person and how you perceive the world and how you carry out this mission. And so it's just really encouraging to me. Um, in some ways, it puts, it's hard. In some ways, it puts the responsibility, I mean, and it puts the responsibility back on me, right? And that's hard. A lot of times, I like to put the blame on other people. I like to find an excuse for why I'm acting this way or an excuse for why I did this. Um, but in a lot of ways, it empowers me because I'm like, you know what? I can, I can do this with God. I can do this with the Holy Spirit, and I'm not trapped. It's not hopeless. And I'm not, this isn't happening to me because of something that's out of my control. I can, I can be a part of this. I can be a part of this with the Holy Spirit, with God. And so, like, As I always say, I'm not sure where, where each and every one of you are. Some of you, I've had this very conversation where you're struggling um, with, with this, this feeling that, like, hey, generationally there's something wrong or generationally there's something going wrong or there, there seems to be all this. Am I being punished? I've talked to some of you where you felt that way. And, you know, in my own life when I've experienced hurt and struggle, I have felt that way. For a long time with my, with my Crohn's disease, that's the way I felt. Why am I being punished for something? Is something what, and I try to take stock of my life. And like that, like illness, there's just things that happen sometimes. There's things that happen in this world because of sin, where our walls get chipped away, where the, the things that, that protect us get chipped away, and, and this flood hits. And yet, the cool thing is that if you look at what the Bible says, is that Jesus says, if you build on me, I am a rock, and that sand can't get chipped away. Those waves will hit, the waves and wind will batter, and yet you will stand firm on me. And so that's where we can go from this. We can say, listen, going forward, starting right now, I am going to live for him regardless of what I've done in the past, regardless of what my parents have done, regardless of what my children have done. Right here, right now, this is about me and my relationship with Christ. And that's the very first way because when you start doing that, when you adjust yourself, it starts trickling out into your other relationships. It starts, it's, I mean, you've heard it before. They always say on an airplane when, when you're starting to, some, there's a problem, right? The air mask comes down. If I'm trying to fiddle, get the air mask on my kids, I'm going to pass out because I don't have my own air. 
All right, so I put my own on first, and then from there I can have clarity and thought, and I can look, and I can then adjust my kids, and I can get them set. And then I can help the people around me. Oh, look, that person didn't get theirs on. I'm going to help them too. But if I am passed out sitting there in, in my own sin, in my own, you know, problems and, and, and my own kind of self-pity like the people in exile were, I'm, I'm not good. I'm not good for God. I can't be used by him. I'm not, I'm not good for the people around me. So I want to encourage you to think about that wherever you are. Today is the day where you can say, eh, I'm going to start working towards a new place. And maybe you're already really good. You say, hey, I've, I've been working really good. Well, today's the day where you say, I'm going to keep to it. <laughs> I'm going to keep on it. Whatever it is, I'm going to keep on it. As we invite our worship team to come on back up, I just want to close in prayer. I know that, um, that a lot of times we can hear words and we can um, hear sermons and we can hear those things, but emotionally it's still hard, right? It still hits and it's like, yeah, but you don't know my situation or yeah, but you don't have this. That's when God says in those times when we're lost for words, when we're lost for direction, we turn to God in prayer. So we're going to have our, our altars open. Um, there is a one to my left over here. You can pray. You'd be by yourself. Um, you can just talk with God on your own. If you'd like, come over to the right here. Um, there will be someone who will pray with you. If you have something you need to talk to a guy, you need to release something, you need to say, hey, I've been holding this baggage of my family, of, of this past sin, or of my, my kids, or whatever's happening. I've been holding all of this in, and I just want to let it go. I want to let it go, and I want to start afresh. Today's the day you can do that. Um, God is always here and always welcome. Uh, he is asking and knocking for you to come in. So would you join me in prayer? Dear God, we just come before you this morning and we thank you. We praise you. We lift you up. We thank you for being a just God, a God who looks at our lives, judges out of a place of mercy. And even in the midst of looking at us and seeing that we don't measure up, you sent your son. You sent your son to bridge that gap where we fall short. God, you are a good God. God, when you discipline us, when we feel the effects of sin on our lives, be with us. Be with us and send your Holy Spirit let us feel his presence strong in our lives. Let us feel his comfort and his direction as we struggle through these things. God, if we are in exile, if we are in this place now and uh, we just, we feel isolated and alone and lost, God, let us turn to you. Let us dig our heels into your scripture and say, this is where I'm planted. It doesn't matter what's around me. It doesn't matter what is oppressing me. I am rooted in this word. And the Bible says the word is Christ. And so God, we just pray that over the people here. If there is someone who is struggling with making that decision, we pray that you soften their hearts, you give them direction. And we pray if there is someone here who is just dealing with that trauma of, of generations. Be with them. Heal them as only you can. We lift you up. We praise you. Amen.
Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.